When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We're in episode 67, if you can believe it, of our study, Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And uh, we, la- we last left off, Moses was telling the people to gather all the tools and all the, the fine, li- you know, the wool and the stones and the gold and the earrings and all that. Go ahead and lay everything at Moses' feet, and then we're going to build the temple. Now, remember, God's already given us the plan for the temple. He's got the blueprints. He even has God's identified who the workers are, uh, but then we're going to start building the temple, and that's what we're going to get into today. So let's just go ahead and start reading in Exodus chapter 35, beginning at verse 30. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Oholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. So we saw earlier in Exodus how God had picked these two guys, Bezalel and Aholiab, to be kind of the master craftsmen to direct the whole entire work of the building of the temple. Uh, Because we remember surrounding the courtyard are all these woolen blankets, you might call them, but they're woolen, woolen tapestries. They put them on poles and they completely surround the the courtyard. And then within the courtyard, you have the tabernacle, you have the altar of incense, um, you have the courtyard. And then in the tabernacle, you have um, the place where the bread of presence is and the the, uh, candlestick, the menorah. And then behind that, behind this curtain, is the, the Holy of Holies, which has the Ark of the Covenant. So this is the design that God gave, uh, and now he sent Bezalel and Aholiab to do this. One of the things I thought interesting here is he wants Bezalel and Aholiab not only because they're skilled craftsmen, which they obviously are, probably the most skilled craftsmen in the, in the area, but he has given them the ability to teach others because there's a lot of stuff that has to be done here. And it has to be of a quality that Moses and the people of Israel and God would all approve of. And so it's not just that they themselves are good craftsmen, which they obviously are, but that at some level God wants them to teach other people to be craftsmen because there's just way too much work here for two guys to do. And so they will identify certain people and they'll come in and and Bezalel and Oholiab We'll say, okay, this is how I want you to prepare the yarn. This is how I want you to color the yarn, the wool that we're going to build the tapestries with. And then this is what we want the design to look like. And this is how you feed, you know, the loom or whatever, you know, pro, you know, however they did that to create the tapestry. All of this has to be taught to the people because otherwise this would never get done. It's just way, way too much work for two people. But if they bring in others and they teach, then it'll get done. And this is so true about us. 
sometimes when you are a master craftsman, when I'm a master craftsman in any area that I'm in, it's so easy, easy for me to say, okay, I'm the master craftsman, I'll do all the work. And I, God wants us not to do that. God wants us to teach others. He wants us to bring that skill, that, that uh, trade, uh, the ability to replicate ourselves. He wants all leaders to be able to do that. So in all things, we know that in the church, uh, one of the greatest things that a person can be in the church is a leader that trains others, a teacher. Um, that is that is taking a big, deep, deep step into uh, to God's presence. It's one thing, you know, it's one thing to learn, you know, to sit and learn at the feet of somebody. That's like the first step. And then the next step would be for us to learn how to do it ourselves. That's the second step. And then the third step is for us to teach others how to do what we ourselves do. And this can be at any level of of church work. It could be teaching scriptures, Bible. It could be doing some event somewhere. It, it, all these things, in everything we do as a congregation, we should understand at what level are you? Are you a student? Uh, are you, you know, are you actually doing the, you know, doing whatever it is, or are you a teacher? So there's those three levels, and God sees that the, all three levels need to be available here. Um, and so he tells Aholiab and Bezalel to make sure that they teach others so that it can expand the work. Um, if you've ever seen, uh, there, there's a, a thing that goes around the internet periodically that says, would you rather have a million dollars or would you rather have a penny that doubles every day for 30 days? And you should take the answer, I'd rather have a penny that doubles every 30 days for 30 days. Because at the end of that, you'll have like $8 million as opposed to the million dollars. And if it keeps doubling, you could get to the billions and the trillions. And so uh, we limit ourselves as people if we hoard the ability to do stuff. Like if Bezalel and Aholiab hoarded the ability to do all the crafts work, this would never get built. But God wants this temple to be built in a, you know, in a shorter amount of time, and so they have to teach. It has to go beyond. If, at some level, when you are a teacher, uh, you can control the quality. You can teach people and all that sort of thing. You get actually much, much more influence uh, if you are a teacher or if you are a, a, um, you know, one who is training somebody in the things that need to be done. So that's an important lesson in all walks of life. Uh, so let's move on to chapter 36. So Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord had commanded. So he has these people. Every skilled person now comes with Bezalel and Oholiab. Then 36 verse 2. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given the ability and who was willing to come and do the work, they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough to, for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. So Another thing that they've done is they've looked at all the gold and silver and 
precious stones and wool and yarn and all this stuff that's coming in. And Bezalel and Aholiab said, okay, this is how much we need. And all of a sudden it started coming in. And it's like, oh, we've got more than we need. Now they could have hoarded that stuff. They could have uh, said, well, let's make more things. But God had said, this is what I want you to do. He'd set the blueprint. And once you have all the materials, you don't need any more materials. So once all the materials kind of came in and there was enough, then all these workers told everybody, okay, this is enough. We don't need any more. So uh, what happens? What does Moses do? Well, verse six, then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Um, this is another you know, life lesson for all of us. Um, when, we, when Jennifer and I moved to, um, uh, we moved to Denver from Phoenix. And in Denver, they had just finished a capital campaign, a pledge to build the, uh, it was, a, it was a, a building that housed two levels of the school and a gymnasium, and it kind of fit in with the campus, uh, all that stuff. And uh, we were not given an opportunity to give to that capital campaign because we kind of came in late. Uh, and so when the whole thing was constructed and built um, and they had the big dedication, there was kind of a hole in my heart um, that I was being part of a dedication of a building that I didn't really help build. I didn't feel like I had any, I mean, obviously I felt some amount of ownership because it was on the church and we were giving to the congregation, but for that particular building, uh, we hadn't given anything. And it, um, it kind of reinforced to me that, um, that when you, when you have the opportunity, even if it's a little bit, uh, if a church is doing something, that if, if there's any way you can provide an offering to that event, that structure, that building, whatever it is the congregation is doing, at some level, um, we sh you know, you should give. Uh, I shouldn't say you should give. Don't, don't deny yourself the opportunity to take ownership and to have that feeling and sense of pride for something that happens in a church by not giving, either of your time or your talent, your treasure. It doesn't have to be money. I mean, it could be time. It could be volunteering to do one or two things. Um, all of that stuff uh, is so important just to get that sense of, wow, we did something and I was part of it, right? And the worst thing, at least in my, in my experience, the worst thing is to sit in a new building as it's being dedicated and say, but I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't get the opportunity to give to this and just to feel that sense of loss because you didn't. Um, because when God gives us blessings, we are called to use those blessings to the world around us. And when a congregation says, okay, we're going to concentrate and pool our blessing in this area. Um, it's just, it, there's just a great sense of feeling of camaraderie and accomplishment and joy uh, as being a part of that. And uh, I will say that that takes then leadership. Notice, notice it's not Moses who is, you know, assigning all the people to the craftsmen to Bezalel and Aholiab. 
No, it's um, it's Bezalel, Aholiab, and the and the craftsmen. They've taken one particular ownership of a project, the building of the temple, um, and they've kind of organized and built that sort of thing. So Bezalel and Aholiab are leaders. They're great leaders. And this would not be done if there were not great leaders in this tribe. It's not just the skilled workers that are there, the people who are willing to learn and to take ownership and to actually do the work. It takes a couple people, the Oholiabs and the Embezalels, to kind of organize and to teach and to say, this is where we're going. This is the plan. This is how we want to do it. In in the world of... Um, you know, business, it might be a mid-level manager or a senior level manager. You know, somebody who, who the business gives a task or a chunk and says, I want to do this. And so those two people, you know, run and they take off and they do that sort of thing. One of the great things about Christ Lutheran Vale is that we've got some incredible leaders. And for us to continue to grow and to do the work that God's called us to do, we have to, at some level, empower, pull, you know, Leadership is one of those things that partially is um, is learned by trial by error. There are probably some leadership skills that can be you know brought along with somebody, but oftentimes leadership is nothing more than putting a person in a position of leadership and saying, "Okay, you are in charge of this. I will help you whatever I can, but you're the one that has to call the shots and makes the decisions and find the people and do all that sort of thing." And that opportunity to raise up leadership in a congregation is probably one of the greatest gifts that a congregation has because that those leadership skills, they may not get those leadership skills in their work because their work might already have leaders and they're just, you know, they're doing the work and they're, and they're, they're not given an opportunity for leadership. But a church is a great opportunity for people to rise up leadership and to teach leadership and to throw people into leadership uh, and then once once they've learned those skills, then they can take that and go into the business world or wherever, and they can use those leadership skills to, um, you know, to make the world a better place, to bring the kingdom into the world. Um, I, I've seen many, many great Christian leaders, and they tie in their faith with their leadership, and they do amazing things because at some level— if you don't have faith, leadership is really, really hard. <laughs> it's like really hard. But if you have faith, then leadership is quite easy. Uh, so that's why I you know, strongly suggest that all leaders have a really good connection with Jesus um, so that it, it helps them in their leadership skills. All right, so um, that's Bezalel and Aholiab. So now we're going to begin building the temple. We're going to begin building the courtyard, the tabernacle, and all these things. Remember, we've already got the we've already got the plans laid out, but now we're going to start to build it. So now let's just go to Exodus 36, beginning at verse 8. All those who were skilled among the workers made the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by expert hands. All the curtains were the same size, 28 cubits long and four cubits wide. They joined five of the curtains together and did the same with the other five. Then they made loops of blue material along the edge of the end curtain in one set, and the same was done with the end curtain in the other set. They also made 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end curtain of the other set with the loops opposite each other. And then they made 50 gold clasps 
and used them to fasten the two sets of curtains together so that the tabernacle was a unit. So it's hard to describe, but you got the tabernacle, which is just an area that's surrounded by curtains. And inside you have the bread of the presence and the Holy of Holies. So that's the tabernacle. And I've shown a picture of it. Um, but it's uh, but they're now making all these materials within the tabernacle. Um, we'll continue reading verse 14. They made curtains of goat hair for the tent over the tabernacle, 11 altogether. All 11 curtains were the same size, 30 cubits long and four cubits wide. They joined five of the curtains into one set and the other six into another set. Then they made 50 loops along the edge of the end curtain in one set and also along the edge of the end curtain in the other set. They made 50 bronze clasps to fasten the tent together as a unit. Then they made for the tent a covering of ram skins dyed red and over that covering of the other durable level, leather. They made upright frames of acacia wood for the tabernacle. Each frame was 10 cubits long and a cubit and a half wide with two projections set parallel to each other. They made all the frames of the tabernacle in this way. They made 20 frames for the south side of the tabernacle and made 40 silver bases to go under them, two bases for each frame, one under each projection. For the other side, the north side of the tabernacle, they made 20 frames and 40 silver bases, two under each frame. They made six frames for the far end, that is the west end of the tabernacle, and two frames were made for the corners of the tabernacle at the far end. At these two corners, the frames were doubled from the bottom all the way to the top and fitted into a single ring, both were made alike. So there were eight frames and 16 silver bases, two under each frame. And they also made crossbars of acacia wood, five for the frames on one side of the tabernacle, five for those on the other side, and five for the frames on the west at the far end of the tabernacle. They made the center crossbar so that it extended from end to end at the middle of the frames. And they all overlaid the frames with gold and made gold rings to hold the crossbars. They also overlaid the crossbars with gold. They made the curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by skilled workers. They made four posts of acacia wood for it and overlaid them with gold. They made gold hooks for them and cast their four silver bases. For the entrance to the tent, they made a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen the work of an embroiderer, and they made five posts with hooks for them. They overlaid the tops of the posts with their bands with gold and made their five brand, uh, bases of bronze. So uh, they've made the outside of the tabernacle, and it's, it's an enclosed unit. Uh, it has curtains all the way around. It has a roof, and they've got these materials in it, and it's got these bases that are put around it so that it is stable. Um, and they would... Um, be able to bring this tabernacle wherever they go. And remember, it has to point a certain direction. Uh, the, there's a west end, a north end, south and east, and has to point, uh, has to be aligned a certain direction. So they can take this tabernacle now and they can move it wherever they want to go. So if God says, okay, it's time to, you know, pull camp and we're going to move somewhere else, they put all these things around, they carry it, and they move to the new place, and then they can build this tabernacle. Once it's built, it's kind of like a permanent roving tabernacle and tent of meeting and courtyard for um, forever. 
that they can do this. Now, when they end up in the promised land, in Jerusalem, the tab, this, all this stuff goes away and they build the temple, right? So all of this stuff kind of gives the design for the temple, but it ultimately becomes the temple. But while they're roaming in the wilderness for 40 years, it's this that they have. And it is here that they have the presence of God. It's here where they can worship. It is here where they can decide things. It's here where they can offer sacrifices. Uh, It's here that is the locus of God in uh, in the midst of them is here at the tabernacle. Uh, And they've built it. All right. Uh, And then we'll just continue reading chapter 37, verse 1. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high. He overlaid it with pure gold both inside and out and made a gold molding around it. He cast four gold rings for it and fastened them to its four feet. With two rings on one side and two rings on the other, he then made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. He made the atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. Then he made two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. He made one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other end. At the two ends, he made them of one piece with the cover. The cherubim had their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim faced each other, looking toward the cover. Now, This then is the Ark of the Covenant. It's gold inside and out. They have gold uh, covering on it with cherubim, these angel looking things, you know, on top with their arms lifting upward to signify that God is here. Um, Praising God. And we get into Revelation and we see, you know, all the cherubim and seraphim praising God at the throne of God. So the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim on it is a picture is a foretaste of heaven. So the Holy of Holies at some level is a, is a picture of heaven. And um, they take this around with them. And for us, it's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of God in all of his holiness and all of his majesty uh, there. And in, in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant that that gives us this foretaste of, of uh, the presence of God. Um, now it was interesting that people donated their gold earrings. So at some level, some craftsmen had made gold earrings out of gold and purchased people purchased them or whatever they're wearing them. Um, and a craftsman had done that, but all of that was to be melted down and repurposed to build the temple, to build this tabernacle. Um, so, uh, it, 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 None of us, all of us sometimes have to be melted down with our previous craftsmanship to become the crafts, you know, to become the thing that God wants us to do. Uh, we all, we all at some level are like those gold earrings, right? We already have a previous shape and sometimes God has to melt that down, take off the dross, take the pure gold and gold and then reshape it uh, in the way that he wants to use it. If that's not a metaphor or an example of our lives, I don't know what is. Uh, because all of us, uh, at some level, will be refined by God so that he can use us for the work of the temple. In Paul, uh, he says that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, uh, blameless and pure. So we are now the gold and the silver of the tabernacle. That God's molding us and melting us and shaping us and 
hammering us into place so that we can be part of this beautiful thing called the church. And, um, you know, some of us maybe uh, may need a lot of a lot of uh, melting <laughs> and a lot of reshaping uh, to become what God wants us to to become. But we are a beautiful, you know, this whole thing, the tabernacle and everything is all beautiful picture of the modern day church, right? Where God takes each of us, molds us, melts us, and brings us into this beautiful thing he calls the church. All right, so that's the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, we'll continue again tomorrow looking at some of the other artifacts or the other items that are, you know, surrounding this this whole area. But I think we'll end it there today. Um so uh, let's go ahead and, and close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for this time together. And God, continue to melt us and mold us and shape us and purify us so that we can be part of your incredible sanctuary, the church. In Jesus' name, amen.